and welcome to episode 67 of the Mutant Blitz podcast. I'm your host, Josh Hennig. On this edition of the podcast, we are going to review and explain WandaVision. I gave it about a week, so this will have spoilers in it. So if anybody who hasn't seen it, go watch it, and then we'll come back and review here on the podcast. We're going to get into what happened in the show, what it means for the future of the MCU, what it means for the character of Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olsen, and more. So let's open up a call when and get started on episode 67 of the Mutant Blitz podcast. So now that we know the outcome of WandaVision, we could actually have a conversation about it here on the Mutant Blitz podcast. As I've told you all before here on the podcast, the way Marvel is setting up these shows on Disney+, Plus, there's a reason why you can't read too much into one episode versus another without getting the full perspective of the show. And I think that to the chagrin of a lot of people, the assumptions that were made after episodes three, four, five, and 6 a majority of those theories and conjectures were completely proven false by way the way should have played out, and that's why I wasn't interested in joining that conjecture. I do want to start with the, the bigger picture of WandaVision. So the show lays out that WandaVision happens a couple weeks after Avengers Endgame, which is interesting because Spider-Man Far From Home happens basically a couple months after. So if you're actually following Marvel chronology, it's Endgame, then WandaVision, then Spider-Man Far From Home. And the reason why I bring that up is because notice that in Spider-Man Far From Home, we saw a lot of Nick Fury, which had to do with Skrulls, which had to do with Maria Hill, which had to do with a, a lot of things that you were familiar with from previous Marvel movies. This show dives into a completely new set of circumstances when it comes to the MCU. As I've told you guys before, phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is about laying a foundation for the future. These shows are all about laying groundwork and explanation for what you're going to see in the movies. And in many ways, WandaVision is going, and basically it did, function as an origin story for what you're going to see of Wanda in the post-Avengers Endgame universe. I found it very interesting that they left you, the viewer, out there to have a lot of questions and didn't really answer them till the final two episodes. I thought that was a very good job at uh, teasing, at creating anticipation. There's a reason why WandaVision became one of the most watched shows internationally, because People were hanging by the edge of their seat trying to figure out what on earth is going on. And again, I think he did an incredible job with that. I think Elizabeth Olsen did an amazing job playing a complex, tormented character who is really just expressing her grief. And I purposely used the word grief. You notice that every episode of the show went through the seven stages of grief. Go back and watch the episodes or think about them real quick. The seven stages of grief is shock and denial, then pain and guilt, anger and bargaining, depression, the upward turn, resurrection, and acceptance and hope. The show literally goes through the stages of grief. In the very beginning, Wanda's in complete denial of what's going on. 
she still can't accept the fact that Vision is gone. She, because this is another person in her life who has died. Everyone around her has died. So you had her parents, then her twin brother, then Vision dies. Tony Stark dies in front of all the heroes at the end of Endgame. And so she is just surrounded by death. No matter what anyone would have said, you know, whether it was Hawkeye talking to her at the end of Endgame, even if Doctor Strange take, did take her under his wing, no matter what the circumstances were, you were going to see her go through this process where she just, she couldn't deal with the idea of Vision being gone. When you get down to the show, the initial beginning of the show is her going through this reality that she created for herself. Because remember, the base concept of Wanda's powers is she is a reality warper. All right. The MCU didn't dig deep into the explanation of her powers until this show. But the foundation of her powers, as they are in the comics, as they are in the movies, and now this television show, is because she is a reality warper in terms of using her hex magic, which I'll get to a little bit later, she is able to distort reality on a very complex and wide-ranging level. The problem for Wanda is because she doesn't have a lot of experience using these powers or a lot of training or anything like that. She's basically flying by the seat of her pants and just going out there and trial and erroring everything. So once she gets past the shock and denial of everything by having this reality where she's living in all these sitcom shows that she grew up watching as a little kid in Sokovia, then there's the pain and the guilt. Because then you see the episodes where she's reminded about what happened to Vision, that he was killed, that her brother was killed. She acts out in anger. She starts bargaining with Vision, trying to bargain with Sword to stay out and threatening them. Then she goes into depression. Her kids, she's trying to take care of them. She can't find Vision. She's doing everything by herself. She wants to stay in bed all day. She doesn't understand why the world around her is not staying the way she wanted it to. Then you see the upward turn. You see the moment where she realizes that it's actually not all her fault. That's when you find out that Agnes, her neighbor, who is playing a serious character along the show, is actually the witch known as Agatha Harkness. Now, Agatha Harkness has a very, very, very uh, complex and long history in Marvel Comics that we will not get to here. But it seems very convenient and very easy to put her in the show because she does have a history in the comics with Wanda Maximoff. So once Wanda realizes that everything going around her is not all on her, that's when she starts working through the situation and trying to figure out, okay, Agatha was behind some of this. I did some of this. Agatha did some of this. And so Agatha forces her to go on through this journey of reflection. And that's when you find out that some of Wanda's memories were distorted and convoluted and not 100% accurate. Now, maybe Agatha's walking through those memories are not 100% accurate either, but it's the idea what Marvel is telling you is Wanda had memories about her childhood, about her parents' death, about her and uh, Pietro surviving, about being having her powers awakened by the Mind Stone. 
her experiences with the Avengers, her experiences with Vision, that all of these things, that they were all twisted. A lot of her memories were manipulating herself into thinking certain things. Like, for example, when you get to this scene where Wanda and Pietro are sitting there looking at the bomb, you know, with Tony Stark's name on it that's supposed to blow up, you find out through Agatha's evaluation of the situation that that was the first moment that Wanda used her power. So this was even before she was exposed to the Mind Stone. And she explained to her that she manipulated probability through her hex magic and that she basically used her powers to change the probability of the bomb going off. So basically the idea that she altered the likelihood of the bomb being a dud or not to it being maybe like 75, 25, a lethal bomb or a dud. And she kept reversing the probability to the point where the bomb didn't go off. And she didn't fully realize that she just understood that something happened. So this is what's referred to sometimes in science fiction as a probability hex, uh, a hex bolt project production. There's a lot of terms for this in science fiction, but so what they're doing is they're reestablishing Wanda's history because now that Marvel owns the rights to mutants and that whole universe, we can get into now moving forward that Wanda had latent powers that were unleashed, that were evolved, that were unearthed, whatever you want to call it, thanks to the Mind Stone. But they were powers that were already there. The other thing that Agatha does during this process is making Wanda relive everything. That's when Wanda goes through the final stage of grief, which is acceptance and hope. She starts accepting her reality. She has hope that because she has control of the situation again, that she can get out of this situation. She says goodbye to the fake vision and the fake reality and the fake children that she created for herself, and she moves on. But in the process of her moving on is where the ultimate Marvel moment happened, which is we are revealed to Wanda Maximoff's superhero moniker known as the Scarlet Witch. This part, I actually love what they did. I love the fact they had a legitimate explanation for calling her the Scarlet Witch, for what her powers are, how they work, and all that stuff. Because so many times when you're reading comics, from writer to writer, there are variances and explanations of characters. It's one of the things that drives comic book, char- uh, comic book fans nuts about the characters that they love, is that Jack Kirby might have written them one way, and then... Um, maybe Dan Slotts write him another way and Brian Michael Bendis writes it another way and Jonathan Hickman writes it another way and there's not always continuity. Sometimes they pick and choose what parts of continuity they want to accept and not accept. Whereas in this movie, what Marvel basically did is, look, we're going to get rid of the continuity issues. We're going to streamline this and that's where the dark hold comes in. Now, you were introduced to the Darkhold originally in the television show Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I told you guys two episodes ago on the Mutant Blitz podcast, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has relevance in the MCU. And now you're seeing another layer of that with the Darkhold. The Darkhold was originally part of what was going on in Agent Carter, the final season, what happened in a season and a half, basically, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. 
And now you're bringing the Darkhold full circle into WandaVision, which is actually the true origin of Wanda Maximoff. You get to see the Darkhold revealed to you the first time on the show when Agatha is flipping the pages. Now, just to get into the mythology of the Darkhold, the Darkhold is one of the most dangerous artifacts on Earth. Go in your mind and remember back to watching the movie Doctor Strange when he's in the library and there's all these books that are hanging on chains and you have to unlock them in order to read them, right? The Darkhold is a book that is supposed to predate all the books that the Ancient One and Doctor Strange have access to. The Darkhold in the comics was written by one of the elder gods known as Cthone. Now, just a little context. The elder gods were supposed to be the, some of the original beings of creation, okay? When the one above all, which is the omnipotent god of the Marvel Cinematic, not the Marvel Cinematic, but the Marvel comic book universe, I'm assuming he's the same in the cinematic universe, just the way they're playing things out, but just follow me for a moment. Suspend disbelief and follow me because you need to understand the depth of mythology here when it comes to Marvel. The one above all is the almighty omnipotent God of Marvel comics. The one above all set forth creation. And the one above all only gets involved when his creation is about to maybe undo something or there's something that's going on that could completely reverse course in comics. Like, for example, the one above all meets with Peter Parker before he quits being Spider-Man and explains to him the importance of Spider-Man in affecting the entire universe. Basically, Marvel telling you at one point that Spider-Man is one of the most important linchpins in the entire universe. So the one above all doesn't get involved too often. He's kind of like a guy who, you know, he's out there, but you don't really need to have him involved all the time. So he's, he's a little bit of a distant God. But the idea is, is that he set creation in motion, okay? He created all these planets like Earth and Asgard and, and all of these planets. And he set in motion from the very beginning everything and part of his setting everything in motion was he allowed his creation to create things themselves. And the reason why that's relevant is because what you're going to be introduced to in the movie Eternals has to do with a race of beings known as the Celestials. Now, you saw the Celestials in Guardians of the Galaxy 1. You saw a little bit more Celestials in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. You hear Thanos refer to his origin, the planet Titan. Well, the planet Titan was a population of people known as the Eternals, who were a creation of the Celestials, because the Celestials took base human DNA and created life. Variations of life, I should say. So they turned humans into three races. They turned them into Eternals, Deviants, and Mutants, basically. And the mutant gene is dormant. That's why they couldn't use Celestials and Eternals before the acquisition of 21st Century Fox, because there were too many 
legal issues. But now they have 21st Century Fox. They have the rights to mutants and X-Men back under the MCU banner so they can actually go down this road of explanation. Before the Celestials came along and split up the human race into these, these different pathways in terms of genealogy and in terms of genetics, before that happened, there were a group of beings known as the Elder Gods. And it seems that the MCU is tapping into this concept little by little, which is smart because trying to explain all this in one shot is the equivalent of asking somebody to watch the third Harry Potter movie and they have no idea what's going on. So you've met the Collector in Guardians of the Galaxy and at the end of the second Thor movie. He is an Elder God, technically. He's one of the more ancient beings. The Elder God involved with the Darkhold is an evil being known as Cthone. Cthone is a being who hated the other Elder Gods and basically just wanted to take over the entirety of the universe. The only reason why Cthone was stopped was because there were a group of people, elder, other Elder Gods and humans who worked together to banish him from this reality. Before he was banished, he wrote the Darkhold book. And the Darkhold is basically the deepest, darkest, most evil information about magic that there is out there. Now, you saw that in Asians of S.H.I.E.L.D. and in Agent Carter, the Darkhold was used to open up the dark dimension. I'm going to make the assumption that Cthone left unwittingly to the people who were reading it directions to open up the way to get him out of his prison that is outside of Earth. And what it has to do with Wanda coming full circle is that the source of Wanda's power, her hex magic, her reality warping, is directly tied to Cthone. That's why when you saw the page flip open in the Darkhold to the picture of Wanda, there are these tentacles behind her as if somebody is manipulating or using the Scarlet Witch, whether she knows it or not. That's why when Agatha saw Wanda take back her power and steal Agatha's power as well, that she said, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what evil you've unleashed. And that Wanda basically just ignores her because in Wanda's mind, She'll figure this out. She, she worked through the stages of grief. She'll figure this out, not knowing the dark history of the, of the magic and the, and the reality warping and the science that goes into this. Because remember, Thor explained in previous movies that what humans think is magic is actually higher level science that has not been understood or revealed yet to humans. So, for example... It's not that Wanda is a legitimate witch. It's that she's manipulating forces of reality that she doesn't understand. Like, for example, the reality stones tapped into an element of reality. The mind stone, the soul stone, the power stone, the space stone, the time stone. They're tapping into elements of reality. Doctor Strange borrows power from beings or other realities or other entities in order to cast spells. That's why he is a sorcerer. He's not a magician. Because he's technically 
casting incantations to steal power from one place to use for himself. Remember that in Avengers Infinity War, he uses the bands of Sidorak to stop Thanos from using the gauntlet. The bands of Sidorak are a borrowing of power from another elder god known as Sidorak. So the hex magic that Wanda uses is a borrowing of power from Cthone, but she doesn't know that. She doesn't fully understand that. That's why Agatha kept telling her, I don't understand why you're so powerful, and yet you literally have no idea what you're doing. You've never been taught. You've never been instructed. And that's why Agatha said, you don't deserve this power because you don't even know what you're doing. So that's what gets into what comes next, which is the end of the show, the post credit scene when you see Wanda living in a, in a wilderness under a mountain. And you see that she is astral projecting herself, that she, her astral projection of herself is reading through the dark hold. And that's when you have the moment where she thinks she hears her kids' voices, which is probably Cthone manipulating her to use her to bring back her kids in order as a conduit to bring him back to reality, which is why you're going to see in Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness, Wanda is going to be a part of it because they're probably going to have to work together in order to stop Cthone coming to this reality or something along those lines. Now, speaking of Doctor Strange, you hear a phrase used by Agatha Harkness referring to Doctor Strange as the Sorcerer Supreme and telling Wanda that the Scarlet Witch is more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme. Now, to some people, they may not understand how is there anybody more powerful than Doctor Strange if it has to do with sorcery and witchcraft and magic. It's a very simple explanation. Remember I told you that Doctor Strange borrows power from other entities or realities in order to cast his incantations. Wanda doesn't borrow power. She is a conduit of power. In the comics, Cthone found in her basically a genetic loophole to allow her to use his power for the purpose of him eventually returning to this reality to take over the universe. Well, Wanda is not borrowing Cthone's power. She has a direct source to that power. So it's like, for example, Doctor Strange is running off of battery, okay? He gets his battery charged, and he runs off the battery, and when he runs out of battery, he runs out of incantations and powers and so on and so forth. Wanda is constantly plugged in. She's not running off of battery power. She is directly plugged into the outlet. So that's why, technically, the Scarlet Witch is more powerful than Doctor Strange. Don't read too much into that, because what they're trying to do, they're trying to set a groundwork to explain to you why she's going to be the key to help Doctor Strange save the universe. Because whoever the primary villain is of whether it is actually Cthone, whether it is, as some people speculate, Nightmare, or whoever the primary villain is, or villains, I, I personally think it might be a collection of villains, uh, because I know that Mordo is going to be in the movie. And Mordo, he says in Doctor Strange that his goal is to destroy 
all people using magic. Stop everybody using magic. So I'm going to assume that if Cthone, for example, is the villain, then Mordo is going to work with Doctor Strange and Wanda to stop Cthone because in his mind, Mordo's mind, he thinks that Cthone is basically an adulterer of reality because Mordo believes that magic basically disrupts reality and it's unnatural. So then in Mordo's mind, Cthone would be unnatural because nobody should have that much power. So that's probably what's going to happen in Doctor Strange into the multiverse, uh, multiverse of Madness movie. There's a little teaser for you there. All right, a couple other things to get into on this show that they get into that are important to bring up. Number one, uh, outside of Wanda, you are introduced to White Vision. It is the resurrection of Vision's body by sword. He obviously doesn't have the Mind Stone anymore when fake Vision or old Vision or whatever we're referring to him as, he fixes white vision's memories you notice that white vision immediately thanks him his eyes change and it's it's a moment of clarity and he immediately leaves the reason that is is because white vision will return he's going to be in future movies and possibly even shows honestly you know you do have some shows coming out that might have some relevance to him so you could see him come back in the shows but i definitely think he's coming back in a movie or two. And the purpose of White Vision at this point is it's going to be a new evolution of Paul Bettany's version of Vision. And the reason why he flies off and doesn't go to help Wanda is because he's not Wanda's Vision. He is a completely new and different version of Vision. But because he had all of his memories restored, now he has clarity of who he is and why Sword is dangerous. Sword creating a killing machine, which is what White Vision was meant to do, uh, is basically a precursor to me that you're going to eventually see Sentinels come to the MCU. I don't know when it's coming, but I'm telling you right now, Sentinels are down the road. Because if Sword is already trying to create sentient weapons to deal with superpowered beings, which is what the purpose they sent White Vision in there too, which was to kill Wanda. If they're willing to do that for this level of event, who's to say that some government entity out there doesn't turn to Director Hayward or to some other guy, like Bolivar Trask maybe? Wink, wink, cough, cough. X-Men, hello. To turn around and say, these powered beings are out of our control that the Sokovia Accords are not working. We need to put them in check. And then you have some rogue scientist who says, well, I'm not just going to put the superheroes in check. I'm just going to kill them, and I'm going to create Sentinel. So this is the first step toward that direction, that you already have a government agency that has created a killing machine. So why not take the next step, eventually get the Sentinels, right? So that's the purpose of White Vision. I wouldn't be surprised if White Vision is a character that stays around for a long time. Because White Vision also gives Marvel the kind of uh, we need to get out of a bad situation, random character that DC Comics has with the android Amazo. Now, not to get too much into it, but anybody who's seen the old DC cartoons or maybe read a comic or two, Amazo basically is this uh, sentient android that traveled the universe, gathers all this knowledge, 
It just happens to show up when the world needs saving from something that the superheroes can't save the world from, basically. <laughs> so uh, they'll probably use White Vision as, as a similar trump card at some point for something. You know, maybe when they do create uh, Sentinels that White Vision's the only one that can stop them. I don't know. I'm just throwing out there a lot of spitballs, but they're they're obviously setting a foundation for something with White Vision and with Sword creating a killing machine. And again, Marvel doesn't like to make things too complex with the movies, so they're probably going to keep it very, very simple. There's probably some schematic somewhere of White Vision, and that'll probably be the basis for Sentinels or some other killing machine down the road. Speaking of Agatha Harkness, I'm assuming she will return at some point. You didn't just create this character to throw her away. Agatha Harkness has been a part of Marvel Comics since the 1960s from being the babysitter of Franklin Richards, the son of Sue and Reed Richards in the comics, to being the mentor and trainer of Wanda Maximoff, to being basically a source of information when it comes to history at times in Marvel Comics. I'm going to assume that that character will return in some form. The other character you're introduced to is Monica Rambeau's superhero character. I'm assuming that it's going to be called Spectrum or Photon, depending on the specific variation of her powers. Basically, uh, Monica Rambeau, uh, played by Tiona Paris, her powers are basically going to be a variant of what you've seen from Captain Marvel, which is a powerful being that can affect reality and use her powers to distort reality in a way to help her come to, to certain results, right? And I'm saying that vaguely because, again, we don't know if she's going to be Spectrum or Photon. Now, we saw on the wall that her mom was nicknamed Maria Photon Rambeau earlier in the show. So maybe she takes her mom's superhero name. Maybe she goes with Spectrum. Whatever it is, in the comics, Monica Rambeau is a very, very, very formidable character. And she is on par with what you've seen from Captain Marvel uh, in the movies already. So they've already hinted that she is going to be going up to the big place in the sky, the headquarters that Nick Fury and the Skrulls are at, monitoring extraterrestrial threats. and. She's going to work with them now, which is the original purpose of S.W.O.R.D. in the comics. They were supposed to be in outer space dealing with extraterrestrial threats that are coming from outside of Earth. So they basically hint that Nick Fury's calling her up there. And she'll probably be involved in the secret invasion event, which involves evil Skrulls trying to take over Earth. She'll probably have some role in future movies, not just the Captain Marvel 2 movie. I wouldn't be surprised if she maybe makes an appearance in a couple other shows, like maybe Miss Marvel, for example. I know Miss Marvel loves Captain Marvel, but I wouldn't be surprised if the character of Miss Marvel has some interactions with Monica Rambeau as well. So she's going to be a character you are going to see for a while. The other important takeaway from the show is in the process of laying out Wanda's future in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're also setting up the scenario where 
they're basically trying to make her into a hero that might have to be the next hero to sacrifice themselves. And the reason why I say that is because if Cthone really is the big villain of Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness, or at least if he's uh, a coming villain at some point, remember that a character like Wanda, who has been through all the horrible things that she's been through, there is, there is a very long part of fiction and science fiction history that has to do with a tormented character sacrificing themselves to save the world. And you saw other characters have done it in Marvel Comics. I would be surprised if she is part of the reason, her sacrifice is part of the reason why they have to win at the end of certain movies. It also would take her being an uh, overly powered character out of play for any other scenarios because you don't want to just have these random super-powered characters just trumping people all the time, right? You don't want it to be, hey, Wanda, just change reality. Done. Like, that's not a solution. That's, that's a temporary outcome. So, uh, I just, I don't, I don't like the idea of Wanda being this powerful forever. And when you think about what the Marvel is going to do, they're introducing a lot of new characters coming forward. So you're being introduced to what Monica Rambeau is going to do. You're going to be introduced to, in the next TV show, villains like Flag Smasher and, and Helmet Zemo in his full regalia of his costume from the comics. You're going to be introduced to uh, John Walker's version of Captain America. You're going to be introduced to Lady Thor in later movies, where Natalie Portman's Jane Foster ends up picking up Mjolnir and having the power of Thor given to her. You're going to be introduced to all these characters, but none of those characters are as powerful as what they have told you what Scarlet Witch is at her apex. At her apex, she's more than just a reality warper. She is a reality changer at a, at a Omega power level. Her powers are technically limitless. She could literally alter the entirety of the multiverse. So either she's going to have to sacrifice herself and she'll have to die in order to save the world, or she is going to have her powers greatly reduced because it would just be completely unfair for her to have that much power and just keep going forward. So maybe when they defeat Cthone, there's a little bit of Cthone left in her, but she doesn't have the full access to all the powers anymore. Again, there's a lot of variations that could go with that. Because you don't want to just have a bunch of crazy, powerful characters running around that are basically just trump cards all the time. You gotta The, the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe is built on storylines and substance and character development and highs and lows. You can't just have, as in DC Comics, Superman just come in and save the day by punching somebody really hard. Or Wanda, in this case, coming in, just changing reality and walking away. That's not a solution. That's, that's lame. It's boring. Nobody, nobody signs up for that. So don't be surprised if something wild like that happens with Wanda moving forward. The next Disney Plus show is going to be Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That is going to get into the other side of the world after Avengers Endgame, which is the characters without crazy superpowers. In other words, 
Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I've said it once, I've said it twice. The show is eventually going to make Falcon Captain America. But the show is going to deal with politics. It's going to deal with the fact that the government doesn't want Sam Wilson to be Captain America because it wasn't their idea. That Captain America doesn't have the right to just hand the shield off to who he thinks should be Captain America. And eventually they'll turn around and they'll say, you know what? You probably should be Captain America because uh, you're morally, you're not morally bankrupt like some other people are. So that's what's going to happen with that show. The other side of WandaVision, though, is going to be the Loki show because Loki also deals with magic and dark arts, and Loki's show is going to have to deal with time travel. Keep in mind, I told you guys before, there is a multiverse now. Loki's existence, thanks to what happened in Avengers Endgame, completely alters reality, which is why the Time Variance Authority gets involved, which is why you're going to be introduced to Kang the Conqueror at some point, which is why you need a movie about the Multiverse of Madness, because when the Multiverse of Madness is done, it will bring more clarity to what the new Avengers are going to have to deal with in a world after Doctor Strange has to clean things up. Because you're not just going to have this crazy multiverse forever. You're going to have some, a little bit more tangible credibility and tangible uh, storylines to deal with, but you got to get built up to a point. And that's where the Loki show comes in later this year as well, because what Loki's going to deal with is him messing with history, altering timelines, alternating alternate realities, and that eventually either he's going to have to be called to help the good guys, or he's going to be part of the problem moving forward. I kind of hope they don't don't completely ruin the arc that Loki had, which was him, you know, making this turn from evil to kind of good, or at least better than evil, whatever you want to call it. He um he made a turn in the uh, in the final Thor movie that is actually a great storyline because it starts in Dark World, continues into Thor Ragnarok, and you see him sacrifice himself to try to save the world, even though Thanos had him woefully outgunned. You don't want to see that wasted. And I don't think Tom Hiddleston would have signed up for the Loki TV show if they were just completely erasing everything that happened. So, again, a lot of stuff to absorb, a lot of content on this WandaVision show, and it's coming from Disney Plus and from Marvel. Overall, I thought the show was very good. I thought it was a, is a good journey. Elizabeth Olsen, Olsen did an amazing job playing this layered character with all these different variations and roles and concepts. I thought that the introduction of Monica Rambeau was done very seamlessly and cleanly. I was very happy to see Darcy show up back in the show as a, hey, Darcy started as Jane Foster's intern. Now she's an astrophysicist. The tease we got for what we thought was going to be a special appearance by another character never happened. I know that was disappointing for some people. I know I've been a little disappointed that Evan Peters, who played Quicksilver in the X-Men Fox universe, didn't actually arrive to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He was a actually a character named Ralph and that uh, he was just being used by Agatha all along. So, you know, it's one of those deals where I know some people were disappointed by some of the things. I thought that the show did a great job at keeping you guessing. It did a great job at, you know, keeping you off, um, you know, off balance. So, 
I give them a lot of credit. Great job by everybody involved. I highly recommend if you watch the show and you didn't realize some of the things I told you, just go back and rewatch it now because you're going to see a lot of things you didn't see before the first time around. I had to watch many of the episodes twice to kind of like fully process some of the things I watched. And and again, there's a lot there. There's a lot of Easter eggs. There's a lot of teasers and concepts and layers and projections they're putting into the television show. And I hope they do this with all the shows. I hope all the shows have these little reveals, these little building points, these little, oh my, did you, I didn't see that coming kind of stuff. Because when you do that, you're going to have a lot more fun for the audience. You're going to have a lot more anticipation for these shows. And it's going to make them more than just shows. It makes them events. And I think that's what Marvel's really going for. They're not going for just movies and TV shows. They're going for events. We'll see how the other shows do this year. But I think WandaVision definitely gives a two thumbs up from me. Thanks again for listening to this edition of the Mutant Blitz Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, leave a review, like, subscribe, comment below, whatever platform you're listening on, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube. Make sure you support the podcast. Follow me on Twitter, at Josh Henning. Let me know what you think of the pod. And of course, next episode, we will get into more Disney Plus stuff as we are still a couple months away from the drop of the Black Widow movie which is another highly anticipated show that's going to lay a lot of foundation for the Marvel Cinematic Cinematic Universe moving forward. I'm your host, Josh Hennig. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Mutant Blitz Podcast.